A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our father, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I need not tell you that this is the first Sunday in Advent because I know that you recognized it as you came to church this morning. But today is the first of four Sundays before Christmas. We call them the Sundays and Advent, the word Advent referring to Jesus as the coming one. Today we are also starting a new church year. In the Advent season, the idea is this, that we are to use these four Sundays in order to get ourselves ready for Christmas. If you notice in the colic for this morning, it started out, Stir up, we beseech thee thy power, O Lord. Our grandmothers used to say that when in church you heard stir up, it was time to stir up the Christmas cookies because this was the Advent season. And so we are here in God's house. We want to get ready for Christmas. And we're going to do it this way each Advent Sunday. We're going to ask ourselves the question, What child is this? Who is this child whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate? Then we're going to turn to the Word of God, and we're going to ask from the Word of God and answer to that question. And this morning, I read from the book of the Acts, and here we have an answer from the Apostle Peter. Now, this answer came after Jesus had died and had raised himself from the dead and had gone to heaven and had sent the Holy Spirit. It was after the day of Pentecost, when the Christian church had been established, you remember, 3,000 souls were added. After that incident, we are told that Peter and the apostle John, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon one day, they were going to the temple for the hour of prayer. And as they came to the gate beautiful, it was this incident, when they met that lame beggar lying there at the gate who was asking for gifts. And you recall that lame beggar looked up at Peter and John and he wanted a gift, and Peter said to him, Silver and gold I have none, but such as I have I give thee. And then he said, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I command you to rise and walk. And that lame beggar stood up, and again he was healed. And as he followed Peter and John into the temple, they went to what was known as Solomon's porch, and naturally a lot of people gathered there. And this was the setting when Peter got up, and he gave an extemporaneous sermon, and he spoke to those people about Jesus and here is what he said. He quoted, of all things, from Moses, who had lived 1,500 years before Jesus came. And he said to them, You remember what Moses said, that he said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet like unto me, that is, like unto Moses. And then Peter said, I want to tell you about this Jesus. So this morning, on this first Sunday in Advent, when we look at the manger and we say, What child is this? 
Uh, then Peter, the big fisherman from up Galilee way, old Pete Johnson himself, he says, uh, don't you know who this child is? And Peter says, why, this child is no less uh, than the prophet like unto Moses. And you and I may say, I wonder what he means. We've got to know something about Moses. Moses was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament because Moses occupied a position that no other prophet occupied in the Old Testament time. He was the mediator. He was the one who stood between God and the children of Israel. When God wanted to speak to Israel, God spoke through Moses. When the children of Israel wanted to speak to God, you remember, they spoke through Moses. He was God's representative to Israel, and he was Israel's representative to God. In other words, he was the greatest person of the Old Testament. He was the indispensable person of the Old Testament. And so when Peter says to you and me this morning, are you asking me what child this is? Peter said, why this child, he is no less he is in truth. He is a prophet like Moses. He is greater than the greatest man of the Old Testament. This child is no less than the most indispensable person that ever came into the world. Peter would say, Moses was indispensable in his time. This child is the indispensable one. This child is the most essential child that ever came into this world. He is the greatest and the most needed individual that ever came to this earth. And you and I may say, wait a minute, Peter. Do you mean to say that this child is the indispensable person? We may say to ourselves, nobody is indispensable. I don't care how important anybody is. I don't care who that person is. We may say you can still get along without that person. We may say to ourselves, after all, there are millions of people in this world that are getting along without this child, Jesus, and they seem to be doing all right. We may say to Peter, Peter, how can you say then that this child is no less than the greater of the greatest, that he is the indispensable one, the one you can't do without? And Peter says, that's it. We may say, why, we can do without him. We can get along without him. Uh, are the results so dire? Are they so tragic? Are they so terrible when you are without Jesus Christ? Supposing he hadn't come, would it have been so awful? And Peter would remind you and me, this child, I want you to know, is no less than, again, he is a prophet like Moses. He is greater than the greatest. He is the indispensable one because Peter would remind you and me what a difference it would be if this child had not come. He is the indispensable one. If he had not come, not one individual, Peter would remind you and me, would ever be saved. If this child had not come into the world, there wouldn't be one person who ever lived who would ever go to heaven. Every one of us without exception would be lost and damned to hell forever. And you and I may say that's rather strong language, isn't it? We may say to Peter, do you mean to say that this child is that indispensable, that the results would be tragic, that they would be eternally sad if this child had not come into the world whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate? And Peter would remind you and me, he is a prophet like Moses. Moses was the indispensable one in the Old Testament. This one is greater than Moses. He is the indispensable person who came into the world. And all because, again, the results would be tragic. It is only because he came that there is life and salvation. Had he not come, you and I could never hope for salvation or anyone. And we may look at that this morning. We may say to ourselves, is he the indispensable one? 
The Apostle Peter would remind you and me in the first place that he is because he would remind you and me that this child, when he came into the world, this child was firmly convinced that the salvation of the human race depended upon him alone. We may say, do you mean to say that this Jesus knew that he was indispensable? Do you mean to say that he had this conviction within his own heart that the salvation of mankind depended squarely on him? We may say to ourselves, we must have been suffering hallucinations of some kind. But remember, when this child came into the world, one day he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When we look at him and we say, did he think that he was so indispensable? He would say he came to seek the lost, and he would say to you and me, this Christ, yes, I am the indispensable one because I came to save the lost, and you were lost. He reminds you and me this morning that we are lost by nature. Moses knew that. Moses knew that important as he was as the go-between, as important a person as he was, nevertheless, Moses knew that he was a sinner because Moses had stood at Mount Sinai when God spoke the Ten Commandments and he knew that all men were sinners. And Peter would remind you and me this morning that this child had this conviction that salvation had to come from him. It could not come from you and me. We are sinners. We have broken God's law. You and I stand condemned before God. Therefore, to attain life and salvation, it is an utter impossibility on your part and mine. Christ had this conviction, this child, that the salvation of the world depended upon him. And therefore, when we say to Peter, what child is this this morning? And Peter said, why, he is greater than the greatest. He is the indispensable one. Why? Because of his coming, there is life and salvation because this child alone, he was beyond question the Messiah. He was the Son of God who was equal and big enough to be the Savior. Oh, when Peter spoke that afternoon to the group on Solomon's porch, he said, remember, this Jesus that I'm telling you about, Samuel and all the prophets spoke about his day. They said, this is the Messiah that is going to come. And Peter was saying, this Jesus, in whose name I simply raised this beggar from, again, his crippleness, I want you to know that he was the Messiah. This is no less than the Son of God. Here is the indispensable one, even though you and I may say nobody is indispensable. There isn't anybody uh, that we can't eliminate and that we can't get along without. But Peter said there was one that came into the world, this child, who is the indispensable one because salvation depended upon him. He was the Messiah he was no less than God. And therefore, on this first Sunday in Advent, as we're getting ready for Christmas and we're turning now to his birthday, we ought to say, if I'm going to get ready, then I must hold fast to this, that this child is the indispensable person in human history, the one that the world could not do without except with tragic results. Therefore, we ought to say, I'm going to hold fast to this, that he was God's son, that he was the Savior. So many look at him and they say, uh, what about this child? Some like him as an example. Uh, some like him as a great teacher. But let's bear in mind that when this child came, 
the conviction that he had was that he came to save. This was chief and foremost in his mind. And therefore we must stand and realize that he was deity. Perhaps we wonder when Peter that afternoon there on Solomon's porch when he gave an impromptu sermon, we may wonder how comes that he quoted uh, Moses and that again, this was so uppermost in his mind. I think we can have an answer. Before Jesus died, you recall that one night Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on Mount Tabor. And there you recall that Jesus was transfigured and his glory came out from his person and Peter saw the glory of this Jesus and there was Moses. He saw this Moses who was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets who was the indispensable one and he saw Elijah who had gone to heaven in a chariot of fire. Moses was there and Elijah and Peter saw that and he, he never got over it. He knew, therefore, when he quoted Moses, that Moses was referring to Jesus because Moses was there, because he was on Mount Tabor. He again would mention to them, you again, you people, do you want to know who this Jesus is? Why, he is, again, he is greater than the greatest. He is the indispensable one. And when you and I know that he was God's son, he was the Messiah, then we're ready for Christmas because... Then and only then do we know what Christmas means. You know, a lot of people don't understand Christmas. They look down and they see the infant in the manger and they say, well, what does this all mean? But you and I know this, that this infant that came, he was the indispensable one. He was the most essential being that ever came into this world. And when we realize that, then we say, why, he was God's son. Christmas means that God's son, the second person of the Trinity, he came into the world and was born of the Virgin Mary and became a human being. This is the meaning of Christmas. God's Son was born a human being in Bethlehem. That's what Christmas means. Then we can understand this is the incarnation. This is God's Son. This is the one who is absolutely the indispensable one. We look this morning, we're getting ready for Christmas, and we say to uh, Simon Peter, Peter, son of John, Pete Johnson, uh, what child is this? We want to get ready for Christmas. Who is this babe that was born in a manger? And Peter says, don't you know why this child is no less, no less than a prophet like Moses, greater than the greatest prophet of the Old Testament? He is the indispensable one. The one that the world couldn't do without except with dire and tragic results. And you and I may say you can do without anybody. Nobody is indispensable. But the Apostle Peter would remind you and me that had this child not come so indispensable, not one human being would ever be saved. And you and I say that's strong language. But again, Peter would remind you and me that when this child came, this child who came at Christmas he also had this firm conviction that he alone was able to reconcile the world again to God. We may say, did this child think when he came to this earth, this Jesus, that he was the indispensable one? When he was with his disciples any number of times, you know, he spoke about going to the cross. He talked about dying. He knew this, and this was the conviction of his soul that if he didn't go to the cross, if he didn't die on Calvary, 
there would be no life and salvation for anybody. This was his conviction, and you and I may say, was he right? We may say to ourselves, can't I atone for my sins? Do I have to have Jesus? Was it so necessary that he come into the world? How good an atoner are you or am I? I remember an individual who had said this. He hurt somebody's feelings, and so he sent them a bouquet of flowers. He wanted to atone for the fact that he had hurt somebody. Then he sat quietly by himself and he said to himself, why did I send those flowers? Then he said to himself, the reason I sent the flowers because uh, they made me feel better when I sent them. I didn't atone for the harsh words that I had spoken. When you and I realize this, that we can't atone for anything. You and I may take a word back. We may apologize. But that small atonement for sins in your life and mine but Jesus came with this conviction. This was the conviction of his soul that the only one who could reconcile the world, the human race, back to God because man had turned his back on God in sin was himself. And he wasn't suffering any hallucinations and he knew the only way he could do that and that's why he went to the cross. This Jesus came to go to Calvary and on Calvary he said to his father, lay on me the guilt of the entire world Lay on me the eternal punishment. Put on me the eternity and hell that every human being must suffer. And then, Heavenly Father, let your justice be satisfied. And this Christ, this indispensable one, on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He reconciled the world again to God. He merited a robe of righteousness for every human being because his was a timeless sacrifice and he was no less than the Son of God. And therefore he is the indispensable one only because he came that anybody can be saved because he is the only one in all the world who has deliverance from hell and the gift of eternal life to give. Think of it. Yes, it sounds like strong language. There is one person who has eternal life to give. There is one person who has deliverance from hell to give, and that person is this manger child of Bethlehem, the indispensable one. The prophet, like Moses, greater, however, than the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And therefore, because he alone has it to give, think what a tragedy it would have been had this child not been born and had this child not come into the world. And as we get ready for Christmas in the quietness of this church, then we ought to say to ourselves this morning, then there is one thing that I've got to reckon with, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's put it this way. Do you and I know him as Lord and as Savior? You know, a lot of people don't know what to do with him. A lot of people want to be saved. In fact, I've met very few people in my ministry who don't want to go to heaven or death. But it's rather strange. They don't want to go to heaven through Jesus Christ. They can't get it into their heads that he is the indispensable one. That because of Calvary... He alone has the gift to give. They don't know what to do with him. It reminds me of the man that I just read about. 
It was in Europe when tea was first being brought to Europe. And a man received a pound of tea. He had never seen it before. He'd never heard about it. And he didn't know what to do with it. So what did he do? He took the pound of tea and he put it in water and he boiled it. And then he poured off the juice. And then he tried to eat the leaves. And he found them tough and he found them bitter. And he decided he didn't like tea. Some people are that way with Jesus Christ. They don't know what to do with it. I remember speaking to a woman one day and she was rather bitter against the church where she attended because she said this to me. She says, my father was a good man. I loved him. And she said at his funeral, when the minister preached the funeral sermon, he said, your father was a good man, but he wasn't a Christian. Maybe the way the minister said it, it hurt. But again, there is a difference. And yet some people can't seem to realize it. There is no salvation apart from this manger child. He is the indispensable one. And therefore, the greatest thing in all the world for you and me is this. Do I know him? Have I committed myself to him? People say, well, what do you do? It isn't difficult. If there's anybody in church who has, and you can do it now. We turn to this indispensable one, and we admit that we're lost and damned in sin. And we admit that if God damned you and me eternally in hell, we deserve it because we have broken his law. We have deliberately sinned. And it means, therefore, that we stand before God and we tell him we're sorry. We tell God we're no longer going to walk that way. We're no longer going to live the way we want to live because that's wrong. We're going to hate sin and we're going to turn in sorrow and we're going to turn to Jesus Christ. And we're going to open our hearts and we're going to receive him. We're going to put our trust in the indispensable one. And this Jesus has promised that when we put our faith and our trust and we commit ourselves to him and recognize him as our Savior, then in that moment he puts on you and me a glorious robe of righteousness. It's whiter than snow. It's without spot and wrinkle. And then you and I stand as a saved individual. He is the indispensable one of human history. He is a prophet like unto Moses, greater than the greatest. He is the most essential person because had he not come, only tragedy, eternal tragedy would exist. You and I, no human being would ever be saved. It is that direct and it is just that clear. For the word of God says, he that hath the Son hath eternal life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not everlasting life. But it's strange, isn't it? That sometimes we don't want to believe that. We don't want to believe that this is the eternally important person. That this birthday that we're getting ready to celebrate is the birthday of the indispensable one. The one person that the world couldn't do without. The one person that if he hadn't come, the result would have been tragic. But if this morning you and I can commit ourselves to him, then we can say, I'm ready for Christmas because now I have the joy of Christmas in my heart. Well, that is joy. There is no greater joy than peace within our hearts, is there? There is no greater joy than to know that all is well between us and God. There is no greater joy than a conscience that stops nagging us and giving us fits. There is no greater joy than to lose a sense of guilt and to know that everything is all right 
because the robe of Jesus' righteousness covers up all the dirty, stinking things in your life and mine. Then we're ready for Christmas, aren't we? We look at the Apostle Peter. He knew. Peter knew what it was to lose him. Peter knew what it was to deny him. This big fisherman from Galilee, he had lied about him. He had said he didn't know him, but Peter knew. Here was the indispensable one. And when he spoke there on Solomon's porch that afternoon, you and I can rest assured he was speaking as a man that had found peace within. He knew everything was all right because this Jesus who was greater than Moses, he had again, he had seen him up on Tabor and he had also had forgiveness from him. Oh, we're getting ready for Christmas and the church is well lighted, isn't it? We've got our Christmas trees, but we don't want Christmas to come and to go without understanding it and without having it fill our hearts. And we say, what, what child is this, Simon Peter? And Peter says, why, this child, he is no less than a prophet like unto Moses. He is a prophet. He is greater than the greatest. He is the indispensable one. If he hadn't come into the world, Peter would remind you and me how desolate and horrible and eternally tragic things would be for you and me. Because Peter would remind you and me that this child that came, not only did he have the firm conviction that the salvation of the world depended upon him, not only was this a firm conviction in his heart that he was the only one that could reconcile the human race to God, but he also had this firm conviction that he was the only one who could prove that he had saved the world. You and I may say this morning, what could this babe and what did he do that could prove to you and me beyond the shadow of a doubt that he had brought salvation to the world? Oh, he mentioned it in his day. Peter mentioned it in his sermon that afternoon. He talked about this Jesus who arose again from the dead. When they asked Jesus, this child, whether he was the Messiah and how he could prove it, whether he was the Savior, and he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. This Christ had the assurance, this child of Bethlehem, that he could prove to the world that he was the Savior and that the way to heaven was opened and he raised himself from the dead. There is no greater proof that God Almighty could give you and me as regards this child, that he is the indispensable one, than the proof that we have. He raised himself from the dead. He lives. And therefore, what a tragedy if he hadn't come. What an eternal tragedy. Not one human being would be saved without him because he is the advent one. He's coming again. When he comes again at the last day, he will decide the eternal destiny of the entire human race. I know that's strong language. A lot of people don't like to hear that, but this indispensable child of Bethlehem one day is going to stand and decide where you and I and every human being who's ever come on this face of this earth, where we will spend eternity, whether it will be with him in heaven or whether it would be in hell, separated from the mercy and the love of God forever. He is the indispensable one. He is coming again. He is going to decide, and there will be no repeals. 
because the judgment of the human race, it lies in his hands. When we realize who he is, Christmas is the birthday of a tremendous person, isn't it? Why, this is no less than a prophet like unto Moses. He is no less than the indispensable person of human history. If he hadn't come, how sad and how tragic. When you and I have committed ourselves to him and we know him, that indispensable one becomes our savior, then we ought to say in these Advent days, I want to share him. I'm going to share him with others. You know, this is the time of goodwill, isn't it? We hear the Christmas carols and we ring the bells and you know by your mail and I that most charitable organizations pick this time of the year. I imagine you're deluged by Christmas seals from all over the country, even as I am. And again, you receive an appeal from this group and from that group. Will you give? Will you give? Because the hearts of individuals are opened at this time. What an opportunity to go out and to share this Christ, this indispensable one, when hearts are open in love. Who knows? Maybe somebody is waiting for you and me to say something. I had an experience in my early ministry that taught me something along this line. When I went to my first congregation, individuals on my vestry said to me, Reverend Holmson, if you can win so-and-so for Jesus Christ and the church, one man said to me one day, he said, your ministry here will have been completed. They said, we've tried everything. And we, we just, somehow or other, we failed to get this man into the church. And he's a good man. And I wondered about it, and I thought, well, I'm surely going to be an instrument of God if I can. He was a farmer. I went out to see him one afternoon, and I was city-bred, and I frankly confess I knew very little about farming. But when I went out, he said to me, come on out into the barn. He said, just had a cow and had twin calves, and I want you to see them. So we went out to the barn, and in the stall he had the twin calves. And you know, when you become a minister, any experience you've had holds you in good stead. And he looked at me and he said, Reverend, what do you think those calves weigh? Naturally, one was smaller than the other. Well, I happened to know a little bit about calves because I had worked at Swifton Company through high school and through college days. And I'd been a scaler several uh, summers there at Swift, scaling meats and national stockyards, East St. Louis. And I knew a little bit about it and... The good Lord was with me, and I thought, this means a great deal to him. And I said, the little lamb would, or the little calf would weigh so much, and the larger calf would weigh about so much. And I remember him looking at me, and he said, uh, no, he says, I think you've missed it. Well, I said, probably I have, and we visited, and I, there was an opening. Well, about two days later, I met him downtown in Eaton, and he came up to me, a man very quiet. And he said, when you left, I took those two calves, and he said, I put them on a scale. And he says, you hit it just right for both of them. God was with me. There was an opportunity. And then I said to him, I'll call him Bill because that wasn't his name. And I said, Bill, how does it come that you've never joined the church? You've never given yourself to Jesus Christ? And then I received an answer that I'll never forget. He looked at me and he said, I'll be glad to join. But I said, how come you didn't do it before? And he said, no one ever asked me. You're the first person, he said, that asked me. And I wonder if in the world where you move and where I move, I wonder if there's somebody waiting 
if there's somebody's eternal destiny is hanging in the balance whether you think somebody has said something. I wonder if they're waiting for you. Bill joined the church, was very faithful, but I'll never forget it as long as I live. You're the first one that asked me, and I thought everybody was asking me. Maybe there's somebody sitting alongside of you this morning who's never been asked. And oh, then what joy of Christmas when you can kneel down with somebody with whom you shared Jesus Christ. That's a joy to be sure. Someone who will say thanks for letting me know about Jesus, the indispensable one. We can get on our knees and we can look at this babe and say, what child is this? That we can sing, join with those to whom we have introduced Jesus, beautiful Savior, King of creation, a Son of God and Son of man, Truly I'd love thee, truly I'd serve thee, light of my soul, my joy, my crown, the indispensable babe of Bethlehem, sharing in these Advent days. And I promise you, yours will be a, a very Merry Christmas. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.